Hello, and welcome to the In the Booth podcast. I'm your host, Alan Itzler. I'm joined today by News Post education reporter, Emma Kerr. Emma, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. And we have a special guest today, a Board of Education candidate and incumbent, mm-hmm. April Miller. April uh, has joined the Board of Education in 2010, correct? Correct. And so you're running for a third term. Yes, uh, unbelievably. It, yeah. <laughs> and, and so how's the campaign going? And what are some of the big issues you've been uh, worried about this year in this election? Well, the campaign's going great. Um, one of my favorite things is meeting people. One of my least favorite things is campaigning because I don't like talking about myself, which is so maybe a little uncomfortable today, but I love talking about education. And that was kind of one of the things that surprised me is really how much I love this job. And to me, it's not about the campaign. It's more about telling people what I've been doing, listening, doing a lot of listening um, and, and seeing how we can keep helping and keep helping the schools. And so what are the kind of maybe three main issues you're you're really focused on this year? I break them down into to three kind of broad categories because um, it's really hard, for, especially I've been doing this since 2010, it's really hard for me to kind of narrow stuff down. Um, the first is the infrastructure and making sure that we're keeping up, one, with obviously we've had a lot of huge development. We have some enrollment spikes across the county. So keeping up with the infrastructure, and I don't just mean infrastructure as far as just the buildings, but also the safety and security of our buildings. Safety and security of our buildings has been a huge focus and we're doing a lot of great things and then we still need to keep uh, there's a lot of things that we still need to keep improving that's an ever-changing ever-evolving and I think it will continue to be Um, and then infrastructure I also count is the technology and how do we have our baseline infrastructure with technology in our schools the next thing I would call it is is what we say is is intervention and by intervention I mean how or when things aren't going well how are we intervening special education is a huge thing for my for me right now we put together a special education work group that we're working on um, all aspects of special education as far as how the IEP is done which is the individual plan for students how we're meeting kids needs the dyslexia the dysgraphia calculia how we're meeting things when things you know maybe didn't go as well and then how do we innovate so how do we the third one be how do we innovate how do we keep things going how do we keep great options like our dual enrollment like the links program like the really the ctc the the great things that we're doing and then improving on um, our reading program and how do we keep reaching each and every kid through innovation so those are kind of very broad categories (laughs) happy to narrow anything down (laughs) yeah so i've been working a lot with the enrollment numbers you know these numbers for september 30th just came out yes and we're seeing you know some increases and some more schools being over capacity Mm -hmm. what's kind of your strategy when you're addressing those issues? Well, one is we've had a, it's really difficult. We just had our meeting with the county and we talked a lot about that as far as right now when we're we're seeing so much from where they actually pull the permits to when the occupancy is like, I think they said around six months. So that really makes it hard for us as a school system to plan as far as strategizing how we're going to deploy our staff. Because we, you know, when we make those decisions is very, very um, like January, February is when we make a lot of our staffing decisions. So when we're having these huge spikes um, in in permits and in in building that that's difficult. Uh, for us as a school system to manage. I think overall we did really, really well, but there were a couple pockets where we actually underestimated and a couple pockets where we overestimated. So I think we need to build more of those contingency uh, positions into our budget and have more contingency plans for these spikes because I don't think it's going to be going away. And you'll be having the Sugarloaf redistricting conversation. Oh, yes. Yes. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yes. Sure. yes, And you can see from some of the numbers that we do have, like if you look at just the middle school, I was looking at the Oakdale and versus the New Market and the TJ mm-hmm. middle school. They're all kind of right in that area. But you have one that's, you know, over 100 percent. And then you have the other two that are, I think we're between 50 and 60, somewhere along those lines. So 
we definitely need to kind of even out some of those situations, but it's, it's really difficult because people love their schools. Right. You've got they Oakdale Middle schools. over capacity, yes. but then you've got another school in the area that's only at 60%. Exactly. Like yeah. Right right around the corner. So mm-hmm. you see that redistricting as an opportunity to maybe balance things out. Correct. And that's how we've tried to use them um, as we, we haven't done the countywide redistricting. And I know there's been a lot of push for that, but we've had so many pockets of redistricting that we try to make that as wide um, and broad as we can. So we can even out that area when we look at those plans. How do, how do you personally uh, kind of balance that where you mentioned people love their schools and mm. the neighborhoods don't want to be split up to mm-hmm. go to different schools? But they are overcrowded. In mm-hmm. some aspects, some people may want to go to an overcrowded school if it means they can stay at that school. Urbana uh, Elementary. How do you how do you balance <laughs> that personally? Yeah, that was that was a tough discussion because that was the whole with Urbana Elementary. Um, so overcrowded, magnet school. We offered different options because we did have availability at other areas in the county as far as moving that magnet. They did not want the magnet program moved. They did not. They weren't going to move their kids if we moved the cat magnet. They weren't going to move their kids to where we moved it to. Um, so that became came a, a big battle and what we ended up doing was the bathroom pod it wasn't the ideal solution but it was a temporary fix because we knew they were going to be slated for a new elementary school opening and then for urbana elementary to be redone and that's exactly what's happened so they're in sugarloaf right now beautiful brand new building and then uh which is i think it's called urbana elementary at sugarloaf which yeah. is which is cute i like that and then um and then they will be in a in a brand new school so you know it takes us time but we do need to find the solutions that work what we did at hildcrest with the multipods and and how we worked with the city to really get that done so we need to find the the short-term solutions and then address the long-term issues and you also um, mentioned school safety as something mm-hmm. that you're really considering. Mm-hmm. Um, is FCPS doing enough to keep their schools safe? Is there more that you see they could do? We are. I mean, is it, is it ever enough? I I don't know that I could ever answer that. Um, but we do. We try to keep up on everything current, everything that, that is going on. We're building... A lot of the problems is the school infrastructure in itself. Back when I moved here in the 70s, I went to Middletown Elementary, and it's an open school. It's an open it's an open school um, with the open school concept, and there's other schools that are that are open schools. There's other schools that have kind of been piecemealed together, um, as far as you know the the different building styles, which really make it hard for a seamless kind of security entry point where we've seen where where we're coming now. Um, so redoing those vestibules the county council was was great they offered to give us the the funding that we needed to hurry that process along but right now it takes a while to uh, do the construction the ones we're at now are not the easy fix ones these are the ones where there's entries with uh, hallways where there's a lot of uh, travel of the students around that area so it's that's been a huge focus and I think we're going to be done probably within the next three years so that just doing that part alone the cameras making sure just a different culture of identifying yourself wearing your identification when I go into school I have to wear an identification if I don't have my badge I have to have my visitor's badge and deploying the raptor system which checks against the the, the um, sexual offenders list um, you know just keeping and there's more things that the raptor system can do um, so to, to help protect our kids so we're, we're, we're keep keep doing keep trying do you, do you feel like in terms of safety, I, I know mm-hmm. everyone talks about the relationship with the sheriff's office at the yes. school system. Correct. It, it almost has to have. I mean, it's they have great. a good one, but you have to have a good one. Yes. But is there 
enough? Are there enough officers kind of to go around? Would you like to see that continue to be expanded? Do you feel like it should be one in every school? Should it be one in every high school and then split throughout the feeder patterns? What what would you hope to see as we kind of keep going? The the key for me is the relationship and the relationship with the sheriff's office and, and who we're putting into the schools. What officers are in that program? And it takes a while to get the officers trained. So absolutely, yes, I do think we should keep expanding that program. I think we have at least one in every high school now. I think we have a couple in our some of our middle schools. So I would like to see at least one on every feeder pattern. There are... Um, not all schools are campus, not our schools are campus based where you have the high school, middle school with elementary school right there. Those that makes it a little bit easier for the officers, but where they're a little bit spread out, I think we should have have more officers um, around. We also have, we, I don't know if you guys have been to any of our sports games. We have a lot of um, officers like Brunswick um, that come in and they, they do our sports games. We have them at our volleyball. We have them at pretty much every one of our events. We have officers around. Is that... Is that I, I could be wrong. Is that in direct response to what happened at Frederick High a few years ago, where they wanted to kind of beef up a security presence? No, or is that more just always, to build the relationship? It, it, I think it's it's to build the relationship. It's also for security. I don't know if you've seen some of these sports parents, but they can. <laughs> 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 no, um, it's to build the relationship, but it's also for the a safety and security measure. But I, I really like that they're they're part of usually part of that community, part of that town, and I think it helps everyone. Sports parents, was that a shot at Brad Young? Uh, no, myself. <laughs> I'm a soccer mom. <laughs> and a volleyball mom now. Do, so you mentioned the Raptor and showing the IDs. Mm-hmm. There have been some concerns at some of the schools with, that are a little bit more diverse in terms of the parents mm-hmm. being uncomfortable showing government IDs. Do you think there are ways around that, or do you feel like the government ID is something that absolutely is necessary to show to kind of come pick up your kid and to be involved? I think we as a society, I mean, we have to we have to pretty much show IDs almost anywhere. I think people are kind of used to that. We're very flexible in the the IDs that, that can be shown. Um, and we also have contingencies in place as far as just, you know, giving your name, giving your birth date, and, and we need to know who's in our schools though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, another issue that we wanted to ask all the candidates about was regarding teachers mm-hmm. and how that's going to be a topic in how we can get more diverse teachers mm-hmm. in the schools. Is that a priority to you? And how do you see going about that? You know what I would love? I would love it if there was some way we could do a hiring process that was like the voice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Like they have, they the, have to sing, right? Okay. Well, no. yes, no. Okay, not that part because I definitely would not be getting this job. The, you hit a button? It's not so much that you hit a button. It's it's more of, it's they're, they're called the blind auditions, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So I would love it if we just looked at each person who was coming and look at their passion and look at their energy and listen to them and what they bring to it. And that's kind of what their voice would be mm-hmm. about, what they bring to it, what their qualifications are without looking at all the other metrics. And and I understand, I, I understand wanting to see um, someone like you represented in the classroom. It is, it is very important. Um, my son loves um, PE. He did not have a male PE teacher until he was in fourth grade. It changed his energy and his dynamic, you know, for that. And he's had one ever since. And that was actually what he did with his elective time for in middle school. He wanted to, he needed tutoring in PE. <laughs> so he would go. So I get that needing 
it is incredibly important as far as building relationships um, and how comfortable our students feel that they we want everybody to have someone that they feel comfortable with that they feel that they can talk to communicate with build that relationship so in that way it's very very important um, I think we're doing a lot the we as a school system are doing a lot to understand where different people are coming from not just our students but our community and our teachers as well and we I think with, this, with the state of the county today, um, if I'm remembering it right, we're in the top 20, I want to say, as far as for like welcoming and diverse small communities. So it, it's a focus of the community. It's a focus of the school system just to have keep having that inclusive, welcoming uh, environment where all voices are are wanted at the table and that we're that we're respecting of all voices. And even if we had that blind audition type mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> oh, you're going back to that, huh? Well, no. no <laughs> I, I, but e even if we were just able to hire teachers just based on, on merit and, and let's say it equaled out to a diverse staff, they're, they're still just they're still should, just right? general. Right. You would think. But there's still just generally not enough teachers. Correct. Now, that is also uh, now, true. Now, how do you feel like Frederick County in particular should go about recruiting the teachers and, and kind of building its own teachers because maybe that's the only option right now since we're not graduating enough. Building our own is, is huge because I can't tell you how many people that I know that in the system that graduated from our schools. I actually think that should be a huge focus that, that we have with FCPS and recognizing those because those there and there's so many generational teachers. If they're, their parents were teachers, kind of like the police department, fire department, things like that. Teachers, it's the same way. They want to become teachers. They want to become coaches they want to be educators and so to really tap into that and that desire and help them with that I think we're trying to um, do more as far as like a teach the teaching academy that we've kind of reinvented and read I guess deploying um, because it was kind of struggling for a little mm -hmm. bit and, and we did move it from Brunswick um, to give more people the opportunities for the teaching academy so if we say if we did some kind of incentive program partnering with Hood and Mount St. Mary's where we are able to get them to get their associate's degree by the time they get out of high school right um, and then they can move in to get their bachelor's degree within the next within the next two years you would write and then maybe even moving on to write to a master's and work that out with Frederick County Public Schools where we partner with the institutes of higher ed and then you come back and you teach for a certain amount of years that I think is is a perfect way where we can develop our own workforce. Right and I mean you mentioned kind of CTC and mm -hmm. um, dual enrollment how does links fit in with that for you and and is links something you're really hoping to expand or what, what do you see for that? Fiscally I don't know if we would be able to expand the entirety of links and not just from a fiscal standpoint, but also from a facility standpoint, because they do at that school, um, they do a tremendous amount of breakfast, lunch, dinner um, to be able to do that all at all schools would be a, a large fiscal cost. I love that it is at Frederick. Obviously, it's it's a beautiful new school, but also because it's the heart of a community right there. And I think that school really is the heart of the community. We were just there the other night, and it's it's absolutely um, amazing how busy that school is. I mean, it's just constant people around it. So to there are parts of links that I would definitely like to, to emulate. Um, one, I think we're going to have to do is that mentorship and working with the mentors and starting more in the middle school so that they get to know their counselors, they get to know and they get that help on a career path because I think that is overwhelming for students. There's right now there's so many options that 
students have available to them, I'm not sure they know what pathway to go and, and, and how to navigate that pathway. And I think that's what Lynx is really doing well, is helping them with that. Um, so I think that piece of it uh, needs to be emulated. And then also would be, um, as far as with the competency-based learning, being able to get credits for what you're, you're mastering in your outside world, whether that's your piano, violin, the arts, it tends to um, relate more toward those, your physical activities, your, your soccer, uh, than it does. I, I'm not really sure what a competency-based English 11 class is going to look like. That one, it would be a right. little bit harder for, for me to picture, but the skills-based classes are um, a little bit easier for me to understand. And I think what that does is when you can do those through a competency model, that frees up your schedule to take advantage of more like the dual enrollment um, pieces of it, more of CTC, because it's hard for everyone them to fit everything in. Like I said, they have so many opportunities. And plus, then they're so involved. These kids are so involved in their community, in their sports. Sports. So it's just freeing up that time for them to be able to do that. So I see pinks, pieces of links mm -hmm. that are doing being emulated, but I don't know if we'll be able to emulate all of them. So maybe the exact structure of what happens at Frederick High, you don't see as necessarily feasible, but you want to bring in like kind of that flexibility that the flexibility in learning. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. The the Frederick High program is is funded uh, through the state. Somewhat. Yeah. If that funding were to go away, is it a, a big enough priority for you to, to advocate for it in the county system's budget? Yes, and we actually have funded some of it through the through our budget. But the whole but the whole program would that be uh, where would that fall on kind of your priority list? I guess. Um, I don't because there was a lot more startup costs, so I'd have to see what the year to year cost. But anything that gives opportunities and, like I said, provides that innovation is a priority for me. Mm -hmm. um, I guess another question uh when we had brad young in we talked a little bit about um oh, what it was <laughs> no no well, well, okay. just <laughs> nothing like that but uh just what it meant to be running as an incumbent and um you know the value of experience is that something that you're really um kind of running on and and what do you kind of hope the composition of this next board looks like are you looking for more experienced um people to work with are you open to more fresh perspectives i i like both one I wouldn't have run again if I wasn't still passionate about what I'm doing, if I didn't feel like I could still bring new ideas, not just being an incumbent, but actually having that knowledge base. It's it's a huge learning curve when you join a board, board like this. You have Now we have a $600 million budget that you're responsible for, You know, over 5,000 employees and almost 43,000 students. It is a huge learning curve. Um, I... It's it's hard for me to, um, I guess it's hard for me to explain what the job has meant to me. I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did. And I think that's evident from the meetings. And if you look at our meetings, there are people that get onto boards or get elected, and they don't really know what the job entails. And then they get into the job, and I'm not sure if they really enjoy it. And that, to me, is what I... 
I don't want to see. I want people who are who are like me, and it doesn't matter what we're talking about. I'm engaged at that meeting. I am um, either bringing new ideas, offering new ideas, um, trying to problem solve, trying to trying to fix it, trying to either hold some accountability, ask the really tough questions that that sometimes you know people don't either want to answer or that that find find it difficult. Um, and I know um, I kind of have a reputation of, of doing that. And I, I don't think, um, I don't think, I, I always, even if the questioning is hard, even if the questions are, are, are tough, even if we're talking about things where things aren't going well, it comes, my intention comes from the heart. And my intention comes to try to make it better, not to try to attack. And that's what I want the competition, composition of a board to be. I want it to be very thoughtful. I want it to be people who are passionate about education and about students and putting students first. Um, I want people that respect uh, each other and respect each other as individuals and that no matter what um, political background that you have that you share um share a common goal and that you can leave each decision where it's made and not let it parlay into the next decision and that we can have really spirited amazing debates which i absolutely enjoy (laughs) but then we move on to the next topic and we can have a spirited debate about that but then we can go out to dinner afterward well, I want to talk about spirited debates because one of the one of the things you you were very spirited about oh was boy. was dyslexia, dyscalculia, yeah. and dysgraphia. Yes. Do you in Frederick County is implementing new programs? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like we're doing enough? And what more would you advocate to do in the next four years? I feel like for some kids, I I, I don't again until that child has what they need to be successful to graduate to go on to meet whatever dreams they have for themselves, that's success. When we have all kids reaching that and being able to reach that, that's when we'll be finished. Until then, we've got a lot of work to do. And um, as far as dyslexia, I was very spirited about it because it's very frustrating for me. And as someone who has been, like I said, I have been here, I feel like I wish I would have done more sooner. You know that I've taken up the role of if we don't feel like the state is doing what they should be doing, then we need to fight back and we need to let them know that. And so a lot of that was driven from the state when the diagnosis codes changed and we actually needed the the U.S. Department of Education to actually stand up and do an opinion. Um, advisory piece about that and then that trickles down to the state and that's how it became back into focus but even when it came back into focus that's when the real push came and so it's not just for me it's not just uh, putting a program into place it's making sure that program works for kids it's making sure that program is helping and how do we intervene quickly at the higher older kids because we have to intervene quicker they're almost out and then how to better put a reading program in that meets more kids needs uh, as far as, um, especially the phonics base, I think we've gone too much whole language based, not enough phonics based. So that's the kind of continuum that we're working on. Start young with how you're reteaching reading, and then ultimately how you intervene when things aren't going well. So is that sort of your outlook whenever you're working with the state or looking at state things? I think we were just talking with Jamie Alavito about <laughs> ESSA and oh, how yes. there are going to be some potential changes there. <clears throat> 
how do you handle that? Hmm. What what is your kind of outlook with that? It has been these last eight years. As far as when you look at all the changes from the state, and this is where, like I said, experience matters to me because it has been an ever-evolving door of curriculum standards. We have changed every single content area, basically, just in the eight years that I've been on the board, what the standards are, what the accountability is, all of that, what the graduation requirements are. I still, my daughter's um, in 11th grade. They could change the graduation requirements again on them. My son is just getting ready to go into ninth grade next year. His graduation requirements are going to be different than hers in 11. It's it is just unbelievable to me how much we we are changing this, especially with part going out. Now we don't know how many years to to that will take to roll in the new Maryland um, assessment. So it has been an ever changing role. So that's why I said I think we as Frederick County need to focus on what's good for our kids in Frederick County. We're not Baltimore City. We're not anywhere else in the state of Maryland. Maryland. State of Maryland is very diverse as far as the school systems. And I think Frederick County almost represents all of them in one microcosm here. So it's very important now, too, that we have that knowledge base to let the state know, let the state board of ed know, let the state superintendent know when things are not going the way they designed and that there's unintended consequences. And we as a board, we don't need to, to fear um, – we shouldn't fear retribution or reprisal when we're trying to do what's right for kids in Frederick County. And we need to defend them and speak up and speak up for our teachers. And, you know, when when we have that um, relationship with the state board of it, I think that's something that really needs to be improved upon between the local boards and the state board. Yeah. So we're moving into the, the fourth year of the teacher pay scale. Yes. Is that something you will continue to support going forward? And do you feel like we're at a place now where the – that's comfortable for the county comparatively to the rest of the state? I think at the higher ends, we have been more comfortable. I think we still need to focus on the lower ends of the salary scale um, to make that happen. I It, it is a priority. Um, it's been a priority, but I, it can't come to me at a cost of some of the, the innovations and some of the things that we need to do. So I think there does need to ba- be a balance that I won't um, do things like increase class size. I think that was the, a mistake and they don't like it when I when I bring it up. But um, when we when they increase class size and that was not something I voted for, those aren't something that I can support to do a salary scale. scale. When we got rid of the ninth grade so, score, sports and we're still feeling the repercussions of some of those decisions that were made at that time. So I won't be making decisions like that to to implement a salary scale. Yeah. So those were all of our questions. I, oh, will, wow. I will give you the most difficult question <laughs> of the day, though. Um, in 45 seconds, oh, no. tell uh, listeners why they should vote for you on November 6th. On November 6th, they should vote for me because of my my background. I bring a perspective to this board that has been kind of unparalleled and unique. I am actually one of the only, um, I would say, more conservative voices on the Board of Education. I put kids first absolutely all the time in every decision that I make. I am not um, beholden to any group, any endorsement any funded campaign wise i am truly myself who speaks for our families and our community and our kids wow you did it in under 45 wow. seconds i, had a lot I to am say, impressed but that's pretty much it well for for <laughs> listeners uh, early voting starts october 25th election day is november 6th april thank you so much for sure. coming on really appreciate the time of course thank you